Welcome to Buzzed with Brian. I am your host, Brian. We're going to talk about beer, the history, and drinking. Hey there, beer fans. Welcome back to another episode of Buzz with Brian. Today, I bring you a bonus episode for the week. That's right, episode number two of the week. And very excited to bring this your way. It's definitely a little different than what we normally do. Still very much so beer-centric. But today, I have a special guest on from Draft Top. That's right. If you're not familiar with this product, it's kind of in the BevTech category. And it's that piece of equipment that allows you to safely and responsibly remove the lid from a can and enjoy that beer straight out of the can like it's a draft beer. So joining me today, I have co-founder and president Armand Ferranti. Thank you so much, Armand, for taking time out of your day to talk about Draft Top and your journey with starting this business. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Brian, for having me on. Um, It's good to hear that you get uh, a little bit of tech or bev tech is kind of what we're considering ourselves into Mm -hmm. the show. So uh, but happy to be here, and thank you for the invite. Um, maybe before I begin, I'll uh, I'll crack open a beer. Yeah, what are you drinking today? What do you got? <laughs> the Athletic Brewing Upside Dawn. Perfect. I have not had this, so we'll let you know how it goes. But So basically what you're doing is you're going to take the tool, put mm-hmm. the tab on, spin it onto the little shelf there. Yep. Squeeze the handles, grab the bottom. Oh. The air out, <laughs> yep, heard that. the rest. Wait for it. There we go. Awesome. Top. I tip it a little bit more, but it'll end up in my keyboard. So. Yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> and uh, since you are sharing what you know you're drinking, the Athletic Brewing Company, some great NA stuff. I also have a non-alcoholic beverage today from uh, local Untitled Art out of Wanakee, Wisconsin. This is their lychee sherbet um, NA. It's rather tasty, and yeah, like I said, I can. Tilt mine a little bit. Don't want to get the, the the beer in the keyboard either, but it's amazing how clean of a cut the product makes. You know, you can drink right out of the can. No worries. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's all about, you know, ultimately it's the um, it's the experience that we're selling mm-hmm. and, not the, um, and not the tool. But <clears throat> maybe to give it a little bit of background. So believe it or not, the story's about 23 years old. The year was 2000. I was at flight school. Somebody taught me how to use your... Uh, your canine tooth on the bottom <laughs> of the rim, sure. rotate and, and pull the top of the can off. And I'm sure you've seen it before. Mm. Um, but what I remember most in that moment was I was drinking a really crappy American light beer and it just tastes significantly better as soon as that top came off. Uh, and that kind of sat with me for a little while, mm-hmm. uh, more than a little while, actually 11 years. So it was 2011 and I was at a, a family dinner and uh, getting ready to open up a bottle of wine for dinner. And I went to go use the foil cutter on a can that I was drinking from. And I said, well, what if you can use um, a tool to open up the top of the can? It would make the experience of drinking out of the can so much better. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that connection maybe occurred with the wine bottle present on the basis that um, your nose and your sense of taste are directly linked. So it's why when you're a child, you're told cover your nose and uh, if you don't like the vegetables you're eating, it's why when you're sick, you can't even taste bacon if your mm-hmm. nose is completely stuffed. <clears throat> and it, the sensory perception concept is something that affects everybody. And for me, in 2011, 2012 was when the craft can movement really started to uh, to take place. Definitely. And what mm-hmm. I found frustrating was 
there are so many moments where you're out. You're, I was on a boat in particular drinking a Dale's Pale Ale, and I said, mm. like, this is such a good beer, but I hate drinking it out of the can. And can't bring glass. Sometimes you just don't want to bring an extra solo cup mm-hmm. or, or an extra cup. Why can't you just have the ability to gain that uh, that aroma experience right out of the can? And so that's that was kind of the beginning of it, and we've come a long way since. Absolutely. That's a really good point because there definitely are a lot of places where people like to have alcoholic beverages, um, where glass is not allowed and definitely not friendly for um, that kind of a space or environment. So getting the aroma experience and not have to worry about glass or like you said, having to you know waste another product of a cup or something like that, it's definitely um, more, I mean, I, this is definitely more green for the environment. Even, so that's great. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that as well. And I think, um, you know, as we've gone along, we've seen a lot of other use cases and the green elements, its own thing. Um, but more often than not, you know, when you are at home, yeah, you use a glass, mm-hmm. chill the glass in the freezer, however it is that you enjoy your beer and pour it into a glass. Um, mm-hmm. When you're not wanting to wash glasses, you just have the ability to use it. But, you know, we've we've had a lot of criticism over the years, but I've got to try to tell people this is a lot. Uh, to me, it's analogous to a butter knife. You can cut a steak with a butter knife, but yeah. make a steak one for a reason. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you can use it when you want to use it and you don't have to use it, um, you know, when you don't feel you need to, like if you're in a boat underway and it's moving, you don't want beer slashing, you know, sloshing all over the place. So. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So let me steer you back towards the beginning. Then when you first, I mean, obviously you kind of told us the story of the, that desire and like the need that you had for like, Oh, this would be really neat if I could have make this product. But how did you get started with, I mean, it's essentially a, a can opener, right? But how did yep. you come up with this design and like what kind of all went into the concept to like, here's the actual tangible product that we're holding in our hands. Yeah. So I started with a can opener, um, mm-hmm. a traditional household can opener. You can kind of put it on the can and you can use them, by the way. We have people that reach out all the time. So you can do this with a can opener. You can, <laughs> but I don't know if you want to be that person at the tailgate that's, you know, having to use two hands. And, right. Um, but I started with that and I tried to understand concepts because from the beginning, we just knew this has to be a safe outcome every time. This mm-hmm. can't be. So the idea of like a wine foil cutter where you are cutting you're squeezing inwards, which you could do. And there are unfortunately knockoffs on the market that cut from the outside and they take the entire rim off, which leaves a very thin aluminum cut oh, wall. Sure. That's mm-hmm. just not, uh, you know, that doesn't fly for us. And so we wanted to ensure that no matter the outcome, because I have little ones that drink seltzer, it's going to be safe and, and nothing that, you know, um, could hurt you. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> You know, in doing so, I'd, I'd actually, my background was aircraft mechanics. Um, I've okay. always been an, an inventor at heart. Um, so for me, I look at problem solving in a way of one piece at a time. And that mm-hmm. was, well, we know a household can opener works. How can I hack up pieces of material and prototypes to kind of replicate that, but in a more fluid motion or something easier for the general consumer? And it literally was getting like, you know, pieces of sheet metal and putting rivets and having parts <laughs> swing and mm-hmm. taking the blades out of can openers and trying to put them on this, taking the blade out of foil cutters for wine bottles, putting them on that. Um, you know, and that got so far. And then I bought a little lathe on Harbor Freight for, you know, a few hundred dollars. And I spent hours just trying to make our own version of a blade. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, learning along the way, if it's too sharp, it's cutting the aluminum. It can leave adverse outcomes. Mm. If it's too dull, it doesn't do it, but it's got to be somewhere in between slightly dull. And, um, and that process was quite long. That was 2011 to 2015 before we first went to Kickstarter. Wow. Um, 
you know, we went to Kickstarter first. I want to say it was uh, August or September of 2015. Mm -hmm. And that was really a, um, <clears throat> that was a pivotal moment because my wife was saying, you're spending a lot of money on something. It's been several years. Where, where are you going? So my co-founder, Sean Kelly, I think he probably got the same pressure from his wife, um, had brought up the idea of Kickstarter. Let's go test the market and see if this is something people would buy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we were blown away. I mean, we did about just about $214,000 in 30 days. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, with a $45 at the time, which I thought was overly expensive, but it was you know very close to our costs. Mm -hmm. um, and it was purely a proof of concept. Hey, this is, why, this is what we're making. Here's why we're making it. Here's why you would use it in your life. Um, and yeah, I was blown away. It was enough of a, an interest. I think it was 4,200 tools to 3,200 people all over the globe. Wow. Which to us was, okay, this, the idea's got legs. Let's mm -hmm. take it from there and, you know, uh, and progress further with the prototyping. So Definitely. And then I guess beyond the Kickstarter campaign, did you all make a, an appearance on Shark Tank as well? Is my, my recalling that did, correctly? Yeah. yeah. How was that yeah. experience? I was wild. Yeah. It was wild. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, you know, there's so much, you've probably heard this, there's so much you're not allowed to talk about that goes on behind the scenes. It's just a mm -hmm. part of the magic and they want to keep the magic for all the right reasons. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, to enjoy the consumer base, to enjoy it. But uh, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So just because you get an inquiry or an invite, you then have to be prepared. It's just lots of paperwork and applications. And, mm. um, uh, and I think as the show has gone on, you do more of that to vet okay. the quick, get rich, quick, get rich, quick schemes that probably try to filter their way in. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was interesting. And now the only thing I would say too, from a behind the scenes standpoint, it was a COVID year. So quarantine was heavily in fact, um, mm -hmm in so many elements of everyone's life. But, you know, we had quarantine on the um, on the front end of the trip. And then we were told if you're picked to audition, <clears throat> there's nine days in a hotel room, which, um, you know, I'd rather be outside for nine days sure. camping than, than stuck in a hotel room. Um, you know, and I think that the lack of social interaction being in that hotel room, uh, followed by you know, walking out on set was just it was nerve wracking. The moment mm -hmm. you're standing in front of these doors, I mean, I thought I was going to pass out with anxiety. And then weirdly, once they open, you get out on the floor and you start to pitch. Mm -hmm. Everything felt natural. So, and um, yeah, quite the experience. My question is, so the guests on those shows always have like this elaborate setup, right? To, that kind of aids their visual, the visual piece that aids their mm -hmm. sales pitch. Are you setting that up yourself or is there like a team of people that sets it up for you? Like, how does that process work? Yeah, so you're actually, um, you're part of your set design and you have restrictions, kind of parameters around how to design. Mm -hmm. And then you are working with producers throughout the process. So okay. they'll look at it and say, hey, I know this is what you want to do, but it doesn't look well because of lighting or it mm -hmm. won't show up the way you're expecting it to. So here's what we would suggest. But a large part of that, as the founder or uh, entrepreneur on the show, you are the one developing your, you know, the, the, the physical assets needed to kind of portray your you know and for us it was big it was but you know you're also trying to you didn't have the ability to really get in there and say let's move this here move that there just because it was the restrictions from covid but mm -hmm. you know we wanted at the time to get everything that we knew it was camping hiking fishing tailgating mm -hmm. um you know all of these on the beach these areas where you would cans are most prominent um mm -hmm. so yeah you can always feel like you could have done a little bit better <laughs> when you get when you get off the show so very cool 
So is the piece of BevTech that we have today, is this pretty close to the original design or has it made some transitions year after year? No, it's made a big transition. So mm -hmm. this is the, um, and it's a bit scuffed up. So this is one of the first versions oh, okay. uh, that we came out with. And, you know, at the time, um, my interest in pursuing a metal and wood version were one of, even at a bottle opener, even though we're kind of against bottles somewhat these days, um, mm -hmm. because the world just seems to be moving to cans. But, you know, we went with metal and wood. Just we knew that the craft beer crowd is a more knowledgeable, more affluent crowd, someone that's going to spend more, you spend a lot on a six pack or a four pack. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, we wanted it to look good. We wanted it to be a talking piece and be more robust. Um, but then after that first Kickstarter, we realized there was a large part of the market that just sees the use of this, even for light beer, without the appreciation of spending all the money on the high end version. And mm -hmm. we said, mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's get manufacturing back to the States. So we were in China for the first set. Okay. Um, had a great experience, but you know, this was, uh, 2018, 2019 administration changes played a role in making this a little bit more palatable. Um, and we found a mom and pop manufacturer in Maryland that were just, um, very interested and hundred percent on board with helping us. They were able to do mm -hmm. it economically. And then we could pass that through to our customers at a, at a much lower cost that, you know, increased the volume. So very neat, very um, neat. Yeah. Yeah, I guess in the last, speaking of like volume, the last couple of years, like what, how many of these have you actually gotten out to market? Yeah, so to give you some context, that first metal and wood version was only about 7,000 units in the year, mm -hmm. kind of trickled on for about three years, but 2015 to 2018. Um, and we've done a total of 400,000 in, in unit production wow. um, across since then. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that played a big role. Now, each iteration of the product has improved the user experience mm -hmm. and in turn ergonomics and designs. And we, we know we still have a, a, you know, a ways to go to make it even better, but it was just this concept of uh, the easier it is to use, the more likely people are going to use it. Definitely. Uh, mm -hmm. So, and yeah, speak, speak to that, I guess, how have you gathered customer feedback and consumer feedback over the years? Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, we're always listening to it. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> And you're, and you, and I, and you know, as a inventor, you're having a balance, constant innovation with the business side of things. Because every time you create new molds to make new versions of the tool, the costs, you know, there's a big upfront cost associated with doing that. But, you know, we just we started to hear a lot of things. Like everybody loved the first version; it was metal and wood. They could mm -hmm. just tell it was built well, looked good, but it was incredibly difficult to use. You really okay. had to gauge how how hard to squeeze the can, how little to squeeze. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we got into the plastic, the reason we went to plastic was, um, first off, it's not single use, <laughs> I'll say that, <laughs> but it was just this idea that you have flexibility and the cans also flex. So finding a way to uh, gauge pressure and control mm -hmm. became easier through the plastic components because we can model those through software that says, hey, you're over squeezing. And <clears throat> so those are some of the initial concerns. You know, we'd have to tell people you're squeezing too hard or you're not squeezing hard enough. And we said, we got to design this out. So we've since iterated and got from 1.0, which is technically not the metal and wood, to 2.0 and 3.0. The lift was a result of the one most hmm. uh, uh, prominent piece of feedback. And that was, you got to take the top out. And, you know, this was in a post-COVID world because it only came out last October. But people said, 
like where you're going. I like the general idea of all of this, but I don't like having to fish the lid out. Um, <laughs> right. So, mm -hmm. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. Well, I, I've had nothing but good experiences with it so far out of the, the several cans I've opened up with it. It's been very, awesome. very user-friendly for me. So there's my okay. direct feedback. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Our, um, one, our one true test is my, I have a six and a half year old. And so mm. if I can give it to him and have him open up a can of seltzer, a can of soda, like the little mini seven ounce. Ones, oh, sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like we're making progress. Definitely. So. <laughs> Definitely. Um, well, Armand, thank you. You've really spoken to kind of where the company's been and how it's progressed over the years. Where do you see it going in the next, you know, year, two years, three years? What's what's uh, next up for Draft Top? Yeah, so we've tried to position ourselves as we grow in being agnostic to beverages um, because it really does apply. You know, the sensory perception concept applies to uh, drinking Coke out of a can as opposed to Coke out of a bottle. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll use that often as an analogy of people, this idea of, you know, you give somebody a can or a bottle choice, they're going to pick the bottle. You give them a, a glass um, on tap, whether it's a, a fountain drink or a tap beer, they're going to go that route. And the reason being is it owes all of that. It's down to sensory perception. Mm -hmm. And so we've said, you know, there's those are smaller markets for us, but why not make this more um, male, female, just agnostic to beverage, general uh, utility yeah. is kind of where we were going. Mm -hmm. And then as a part of that, trying to position ourselves more is the beverage technology behind the brand. So let, you know, let the athletic brewings of the world, they can make a co-branded tool uh, that is mostly, you know, their their logo, their branding, their colors, mm -hmm. so that they can offer their their customers the best experience when they're out and about. Obviously, if you're local somewhere, you're going to get it on tap. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Um, it's progressed into uh, business settings for us as well. What happened as a result of the last couple of years, really after 2020, is we started having a lot of very large brand name event locations. Um, I won't say any names, just not sure if I'm supposed to, but sure. mm -hmm. this idea of, hey, we host music events and we serve tens of thousands of cans in an evening. Mm -hmm. And every time I hand somebody a can, they ask me for a cup, but we're trying to get away from single use plastic cups yeah. and glass is not allowed. So we would like our customers to have a better experience regardless of the beverage. Um, and as a result of that, we've progressed. So there was multiple uh, inquiries along those lines. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, uh, another one is that we just don't do single use plastic cups. We're trying to go environmentally friendly. Mm -hmm. This looks like a replacement. Um, and then, um, I will say we did have an activation at Wrigley Field for opening day oh, where cool. we were invited yeah, to come in and make cocktails. So <laughs> um, we actually have a new ver a, a new accessory product that we've come out with. This is um, we call these can clips. And uh, really what it is, is it just snaps on the top of the can huh. and it holds a little mini little mini bottle of alcohol. Oh, genius. Um, OK. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had a couple of bars and restaurants in Chicago that have been big supporters of ours and uh, they would serve a brisk iced tea with deep eddy lemonade vodka oh, on sure. the menu. Mm -hmm. As we call it the trashy tea, it's a big seller, mm -hmm. um, but, but it relies on like an overly large lemon wedge to kind of hold the bottle from dropping and falling in. So we said, here's a small problem that that's something we can solve. Um, mm -hmm. And then the Pro Tool, which is a completely far end of the spectrum version of Draft Top. It is a uh, bar mount, so to speak concept that mm -hmm. it replicates the movement of a tap handle for a bartender so essentially with one hand you take the can put it up into the device 
it locks it, you pull the handle down, it mm -hmm. opens a can, takes the lid out, can dispense the lid separately, and then, you know, allows bars and restaurants to forego needing to wash glasses and reclaim them and deal with the breakage and stuff that goes along the way. So. Definitely. Yeah. Cause I mean, I mean, <laughs> I worked in a, a, a tavern for a very brief amount of time and I was guaranteed to, at least on my own hands, break a, a glass a night. So, yeah. <laughs> um, that's definitely yeah. cutting down costs there from yeah. Glassware to water use. And like you said, the single use plastic, if you're in a stadium size venue, I mean, that's, it's a lot of cups. <laughs> it's a lot. I've mm -hmm. heard numbers from some of the larger concessioners and it's, you know, it's, um, <clears throat> it's over six figures that some of these, these, and I don't, you know, it depends on the seating in the stadium, but mm -hmm. well over six figures a year that are spent on not just the purchase and that, and actually just the purchase of the single use cups, but then you got to pay to dispose of them. And yeah. that's on the concession. You know, mm -hmm. I have to assume that that's probably a, a large portion of the overall garbage that you're then having to pay to have removed. Definitely. Whereas now you have aluminum and whether you're state or, or, uh, local area has recycling aluminum in its most basic content is raw. It's, it's valuable. It's, mm -hmm. you know, if you got to drive somewhere to dispose of it. It's still, it has raw aluminum value. And definitely. So at some point in the future, we're hoping to find a way to kind of tie back the recycling end and close that loop. Cause I hate seeing cans get thrown into the garbage. It's just it makes it, it makes it a single use can at that point. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, Armand, thank you for sharing all the insight on this product and just your journey with it. And there's one thing that's kind of more on the fun side that I want to ask you. I mean, you're drinking that athletic uh, NA beverage today. What what do you find yourself most, you know, frequently opening up uh, with your draft top? Um, it's hard to say. We are constantly trying to grab content. And so mm -hmm. I'm always trying to pick something different. Mm -hmm. um, I will say I like the Voodoo Ranger series products, though. Okay. Um, some of them are a little on the stronger side for me. But in mm -hmm. general, um, yeah, I just I, I like what, where they're going with a number of those. And they're just, um, they're just tasty. It's a culinary experience. It's kind of how I look <laughs> at them. So Definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. I for I, I don't have any personal bias towards any specific beers. I definitely will drink whatever so i, I f yeah, find yeah. myself frequently looking at the craft beer aisle, you know, aisle at the liquor store and i'm like wow what, what do i want to take home today and all of it looks appealing to me it's overwhelming sometimes it is I mean, yeah. Way too many. yeah yeah <laughs> it is um and then i guess yeah last thing would be where can people find this product if they're interested in picking one up for themselves absolutely so we are slowly starting to make our way into retail and we'll be mm -hmm. in um going into total wine here shortly within cool. the next couple of weeks, I think. Um, but as far as that, there's going to be some other retail locations, but generally speaking, I think the best way is either the website. So mm -hmm. wdrafttop.com, make sure you get the two T's in there or uh, our Amazon account. Um, if you're an Amazon user, that's probably the easiest way to go about it. So nice. Very accessible then for anyone that's looking to get one. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll be coming out with more colors too. It's another bit of feedback we've heard from people is add some personality and uh, and get some colors on these. So mm -hmm. um, we've got another uh, white and gray, more gender neutral version of the product. And then uh, I think before the summer, we'll have a color drop that if it goes well, uh, it'll be a more unique color drop. We will expand upon it and, and offer it longer. So. Very cool. And is there any, like if someone reached out to you, do you do any like custom logo, custom label type stuff? We do, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we, we ask typically for 120 minimum because okay. we have to deal with a, uh, a separate company that does it for us. So we pack up products, send it to them, and they finish. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you can reach out to us at sales at drafttop.com um, and be happy to kind of go through all the options with them. Very neat. Cool. 
Um, I guess on that front, is there anything else that you want to add that maybe I didn't ask you? No, I, you know, I think it's, it's all about the experience and it's mm-hmm. fun. And that's kind of, uh, I guess how I would summarize it, you know, outside the ability to enjoy a beverage more, more particularly good beer in the moments where you don't have a glass, it just, you know, overall, it's something that we've found fun. And, uh, the word of mouth has been huge for us. The amount Definitely. of people that have gotten it and love it, just, it spreads like, uh, you know, it spreads like a cult <laughs> and I, I love it. So mm-hmm. no, I mean, I, that's it. Just share the experience with anybody that gets it. Do the same with your friends and family and, um, yeah, happy to be on and thank you for the ability to share a story. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for your time today, Armand. And, uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your, your beer. I'm going to finish mine off here and we'll, we'll sign off. Same here. Sounds yeah, good. Same here. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. Oh.